We all know how much stress can come at Christmas time, how much can be produced by family commitments, work commitments, school commitments, and let's not forget church commitments, and I hope you come back tonight in the uh, ice and uh, the cold weather as these kids have been working for six weeks on, uh, on their Christmas program for the night. So the church throws stress on Christmas also. And so our culture can make it hard to line up with what Christmas is really about. And Christmas time is a time to immerse our hearts into the story of Jesus. And culture can get things moving so fast and things so out of sync that there seems to be no alternative to see the Christ child. But what we see is we, we want more, we buy more, we have more, we wrap more, we're more frenzied and we're more crazy. And it's that hectic holiday season advertisers push. So what are some of the central messages of Christmas that we get relayed to us? You know, we've heard the story of Christmas over and over in the gospel and how the Christmas story is about God looking for us about his name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And see, Jesus represents the very nature of God, and because the nature of God is to be with us, the nature of God is to come alongside us. That's what the Christmas story tells us. The story of Christmas is we have a God who wants to be with us, and it was never more evident than at the birth of his son, Jesus. The major scene shows that there was a, a moment of time that God sent his son to the earth. And it was a time of joy for all mankind. So the question is, where do we find joy? You know, if you look at the history story, you see that in the Gospels, there was a man about that time named Herod. He was the one that was trying to trick the wise men into telling him where this new king was and the purpose was in order to kill the new king that would take his place, he thought. And he ended up killing all of the babies that were Jesus' age in that area. But Herod was a guy anyway that had killed two of his brother-in-laws, killed one of his wife. He had nine wives because marriages were political contracts and they were motivated in a way to get more power. So you have a guy who had all the power in the world in that region of the country. And what we see Herod saying when he's looking to kill the Christ child is, how can I get more power? And this is totally misdirected when you think about the idea of where does joy come from. So let's today try to get the right perspective on joy and where does it come from? Don't you see and people and look at their lives and say they should have overwhelming joy in their life because you look at everything they have and and look at what's going on in their life and you would think they would have so much joy yet those people are bitter and angry and joyless yet you see people that you look at and you think thank God I'm not like them they don't have anything look at their life and yet they have a tremendous amount of joy in their life. So what's the connection? So what does it look like, this joy? I think we can learn a lot about what Jesus has to say about this topic. And that is what 
you find in the scripture passage from Matthew chapter 6 today. Cody was reading, and, and this passage in a roundabout way explains what was happening in the life of King Herod. It gives us a better understanding also in what usually is going on in our heart. It says, don't store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and dust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then in that last verse, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Now you think, boy, that's a strange Christmas passage. But did you hear what he's saying? You can't serve both God and money. And we read in this passage, and we tend to think it's all about money and finances. But there's a broader principle that Jesus is trying to teach us. Some lessons and some patterns on what joy is all about. In this passage, there are two principles that Jesus gives us to understanding joy. The first principle is, everyone has a treasure. Everyone has a treasure. You treasure something. You're storing up something. And storing up treasure is a fundamental of the human soul. Treasuring things is not a bad thing. Treasuring isn't a greedy thing or a worshipful thing. It's what we do. At your core of your heart and will, there's going to be a treasuring of certain things. You're going to delight in certain things and prize certain things, to love certain things and worship certain things. In fact, to have nothing in your life to treasure or worship would be unbearable. It's not living to treasure nothing. And maybe some of you have been through seasons of, of life like this, where, or you've known people with struggles like this. Because at the, at the core of depression is, is what this is. It isn't just sadness and tears at depression. At the core is the feeling that nothing matters, a feeling of hopelessness. There's an inability to treasure anything. And if you're naturally and treasuring things and worshiping things, then you are doing more of what God wants in your life. Because he's saying here that we are people that has something that we treasure. Secondly, another principle of understanding joy is, is that what you treasure shapes you. What you treasure shapes you. So you have to be careful about what you treasure, about what your heart worship is, because that's what shapes you. See, you will become like what you idol. You will become like what you treasure. Look at King Herod's problem. Above everything else, King Herod treasured and worshiped power. Power shaped Herod's life. He treasured power. And he was shaped by power. And see, we are people that we will be shaped by what we treasure. And we all know people who treasure money. If you treasure money, you'll be shaped by money. If you treasure physical appearance, then you will be shaped by vanity. 
If you treasure security, you will be shaped by fear. If you treasure approval, you will be shaped by the opinions of the people around you. People treasure so many different things. And in our culture, our culture, what is the one thing that nearly all of us treasure? Especially this time of year, especially the children. It's stuff. We tend to treasure things. See, we live in a consumerism-driven culture which tells us what we have to have, and we have to have something new. We have to have this item in order to have joy. And you have to have something in order to be happy. That's what our culture tells us. And the real problem with this is that, you're, that you begin to suffer from the disease called taking things for granted. See, culture tells us because you have to have something in order to have this joy, and it, and it becomes like a deadly disease to where you get to a point that you can't even appreciate the things that you have in your life. Those things you're taking for granted, your health, the sunrise, the sunset, your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, long dinners with friends, beautiful sunsets. But you're upset because you don't have the new iPhone or you don't have the latest car or you don't have that new toy that you want. So you can't even embrace what you do have. Do you realize that God never takes anything for granted? The fact that you don't get excited about the spiritual gifts God has given you or the fellowship you have with other Christians is a sign that you're not reaching spiritual maturity. It's a sign of being broke. It's a sign that you have been brought to this ideal that you have to have something new in order to be happy and have joy. And if you're a person that goes through life continually dissatisfied, if you go through life continually displeased with your husband or your wife or your children or the church upsets you, you always need something new to wear or new to drive or to live in in order to feel good about yourself. If you're constantly critical of other people, the problem with your life isn't your circumstances. The problem with your life isn't the people around you. The problem is you are worshiping the wrong things. Have you ever watched people who walk around with joy? The people who walk around not knowing what they're going to be joyful for, they're, they're different types of people, aren't they? So what is it that you think that unhappy people have in common? What is it that makes the difference to have a person see joy everywhere and the other person that is critical of anything and everything? Let me give you three things that, that unhappy people have in common. First, they have forgotten that everything comes from God. See, people like this are unhappy people. In Psalm 24.1, says the earth and everything that's upon it belongs to the eternal. This world is his with every living creature on it. We're being reminded here that we're born with nothing and we leave with nothing. 
And you can live a life believing that everything you have is a gift of God. Sadly, many people don't learn this until they lose something very important to them. Something they thought was theirs and they could keep their hands on it. And then they lose it and they forget. It belongs to God. That we enter this world with nothing and we leave with nothing. See, we have to be careful with the greed in our life. Where we go through our money to purchase what we think will make us happy. But see, there's another type of greed also. You know, there's people that got to have new things and new items. It's all about what you have. But there's, there's also people out there that love to save money. That they like to see how big their 401k or their savings account can get. They save every penny. And whether you're buying and spending and having to have things or you're just wanting to see that huge savings account, in each case, you're trying to have money give you something that it was never intended to give you. See, that's the part of greed. We forget that it all comes from God. Another of the three things unhappy people have in common is they think that money gives us something that we can never give ourselves. See, there is no correlation between money and peace. There is no correlation between money and joy. Have you ever noticed there are people in your life that that have half of what you have, that, that live meager lives, yet they're so much happier than you are. So we need to understand that money gives us something that we think we can never give ourselves. The third thing unhappy people have in common is they have yet to embrace that it is better to give and to receive. See, we can believe it because Jesus said it as Christians. But a lot of people are scared to try this, this giving. There was a scientific journal, an article by Elizabeth Dunn, done at the University of Columbia. And she said, although much research has examined the effects of income on happiness, we suggest that how people spend their money may be the be at least as important as how much money they earn. Specifically, we hypothesize that spending money on other people may have a more positive impact on happiness than spending money on oneself. Did you hear that? That's a scientific journal. He said, we hypothesize that spending money on other people may have a more positive impact on happiness than spending money on oneself. What they discovered was, is that people who give are happier. People that buy things thinking they find happiness, very often don't find that happiness. See, the more money you make, the more difficult it may be to find happiness. And also, the more you spend on yourself or put into savings, it may be the less likely you are to help others. So what is it that you treasure? What is it that your heart desires? Hear what the book of Acts, verse 35 of chapter 20 says. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord, 
Jesus, Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. And for the people that live generously, they know that. People that live generously have discovered the principle that we don't know. We're just caretakers and stewards. And see, this is a fundamental shift that you can make this Christmas season. What you do have, it belongs to God. And He has blessed you with it. So many things happen when you're generous. So many things happen when you trust the words of God and discover that it is better to give than receive. See, that's the great irony. Real joy doesn't come from what you get. Real joy comes from what you give. See, generosity can break that cycle of greed where we give, give, give to break the cycle of get, get, get. Learn this Christmas to live the giving life and that everything is a gift from God. Don't suffer, suffer from the take things for granted syndrome. Remember this Christmas, we don't own, we just steward. And when you do, that's when you'll discover the joy of Christmas. Let us pray. Lord, as we gather here this morning, we just thank you that we are able to be people that are able to come and just praise your name. We thank you so much that you gave us the true secret to joy that it's better to give and, than to receive. Let us this Christmas be givers. Let us be people that go around sharing the joy of Jesus and we show that joy when we're shopping and we're frantically moving from store to store or we're there with a smile on our face or we're there at the restaurant as Christians as the, as the big tippers and leaving that gift for that waitress or waiter that has served us. Let us be people that are in the likeness of you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.